Well, welcome to Sojourn Church. Uh, my name is Justin. If this is your first time here, we're just grateful for you to be here this morning uh, as we gather this Sunday before Christmas. So it's a, a fun time as we uh, get ready to celebrate Christmas. I hope that this month as we've been in this series uh, looking at the Advent season has been a time of celebration for you as we look forward to celebrating not only Christ's first coming but his second coming so we're going to be back in the book of Luke this morning. Uh, so if you need a Bible, if you just raise your hand, uh, we'll have some folks bring a Bible around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us out of Luke today. So just keep your hand up until they find you uh, so that you can read with us. If you don't own a Bible, man, we'd love to give that to you as a gift uh, so that you can read along in God's word throughout the week. We believe it's really important for you to have that. You know, I love the summer and the fall. I love it because the weather's warmer, so that's always fun. You can drive with your windows down a lot of the times, wear shorts and t-shirts. But one of the biggest reasons that I love the summer and the fall is because the days are longer. There's more sunlight to be enjoyed uh, in that time of the year. But December is a different story. In December, we find and see the reality that the days uh, are, are shorter. There's the least amount of sunlight and the most amount of darkness is we head into December. In fact, today, I believe, is the winter solstice. I know some of you feel me on this. You get up early to go to work. Maybe the sun has just begun to come up a bit. You get into your office where you sit uh, nowhere near a window. Uh, you don't go out for lunch. And when you go home around 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, it's already dark outside. And so for the better part of five days, you literally feel like you're living in darkness. Man, that's not fun. I mean, most of us enjoy the sun. Most of us enjoy the light that it brings. In light, we see the forms and colors and shapes of creation, while in darkness, that's all distorted and suppressed and difficult to see and enjoy. Now, while darkness and light are very real things, obviously, they're also metaphors that we see throughout the scriptures. They're metaphors for brokenness and death or peace and life. And as we've said, Advent is a time of anticipation. It's a time of waiting See, for the people of Israel, they had been waiting and anticipating the coming of light in the darkness. They had been waiting for this promised Messiah to come to rescue them, to redeem them, to restore them as God's people. They lived in a dark world. But the reality for us this morning is that we are also waiting and anticipating. We're anticipating the return of the Messiah because we also live in a world where darkness still exists. As we get closer and closer to Christmas, the anticipation in this story that we've been in over the last few weeks just increases. And here we are as the Sunday before Christmas, and what we see here is a declaration is made in what we're going to study today, and it's this, the sunrise is coming after darkness is light. I hope our time in God's word this morning will do something in all of our hearts, no matter where we're at right now in our relationship with God, whether we are distant from him, whether we're trying to just to check out if we even believe that God exists or we are faithfully walking with him. My hope is by God's grace through his spirit, as his word is preached, that he will do a work in your heart to, to bring about worship in your life today. And so before we open up to Luke chapter one, let's just pray that the Lord would do that today. Father, we are just blown away that, that you would come to us, that you would speak to us, that you would come to rescue us. And so Lord, as we open up to Luke 1 this morning, I pray that as we look at this story, that we wouldn't just see it as a, a story that we're disconnected from. 
that it's a fun story to read at Christmas time. But Lord, I pray the reality of the truths that are in these, this text that we're going to look at today would hit us in the heart, in the head, and impact our life. That it would promote and bring about worship in the depth of who we are. And Lord, I, I don't know where everyone is in this room, but you do. And so Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of every single person here. As you love and care for every single person here, every single person in this room who bears your image, Father, I pray that you would do a work and that you'd get all the glory for that, all the honor for that, that our lives would reflect that out to the world around us. So we pray that our time here today would be profitable for our souls today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. The verses that uh, Brian and Anusha read earlier is what we're going to be looking at today. So verses 57 through the end of chapter 1 is what we're going to spend our time doing. There's a lot going on here. And so we're going to go through this, uh, try to go through it pretty quickly to get to what I really want us to focus on this morning. At the beginning of Luke 1, we saw that there's this pre-announcement of the Messiah, that an angel comes to Zechariah, who's a priest, and says, look, you're going to have a son, and this son that you're going to have is going to be essentially a, a prophet, a, uh, an announcer, a messenger, a forerunner of the Messiah. He's going to go before him, prepare the way for him, and prepare a people for him. And he goes to Zechariah, who who can't have a child. His wife is barren. As the angel speaks this truth to Zechariah, saying that he's going to have this son, we saw at the beginning of Luke 1 that Zechariah does not believe Gabriel because he was old, because his wife is old, and they're unable to conceive. We saw that for his unbelief, and to give him a sign, the sign that he wanted, the angel who broke the silence made Zechariah silent until his son was born and his name given, John. And a lot has happened since then. Elizabeth's, Elizabeth Zechariah's wife has conceived. Uh, she is carrying this child, Mary, a young girl from a nowhere town called Nazareth, is, is told that she will be a mother, not just a mother of anyone, but the mother of the Messiah, the very Son of God, and that she'll remain a virgin as she bears this child. She becomes pregnant by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And then we come to the text that was read earlier, and we're back at this scene where Zechariah is the main character, the one who speaks the most in this text that we're going to look at today. But while he is the one that speaks the most, he is certainly not the focal point of what is said. In verses 57 through 66, we see that the time for John to be born has come. And he's born and the neighbors rejoice with Elizabeth because this barren woman, unable to have a child, has given birth to this son. And according to the law, Elizabeth and Zechariah take their son eight days after he's born to the temple to be circumcised. And it was at that point that his name would be given. So Elizabeth and Zechariah, who, by the way, is still unable to speak, He's still not able to speak. It's been at least nine months that he has not been able to speak. They go to the temple in faithful obedience. Now, normally the custom would have been for this firstborn son to be named after his father, to be named Zechariah. But Elizabeth, because Zechariah can't speak, Elizabeth is adamant that their son's name will be John. Now, the people are shocked. They're like, wait, what, John, where, where in the world does that come from? You don't have anybody in your family named John. Why would you not name him after his father? 
And so they're confused, they're perplexed, they're a bit shocked. And so they seek to get Zechariah's attention, assuming something must not be right. Maybe he doesn't know what Elizabeth is doing here. Maybe she's kind of taking things under her own control and power and saying, well, I really have always liked the name John, so we're going to go with that. And so they get his attention as if to say, what's going on? There must be a mistake. But Zechariah, a man who the last time he spoke audible words was to the angel of God, to Gabriel. Gabriel, who stands in the very presence of God. That's the last time that Zechariah has said anything audible, asks for a writing tablet. And he writes very clearly on this tablet, John is his name. John is his name. And immediately, Zechariah was able to speak. And immediately, he began to praise God. The first words out of his mouth after almost a year of silence is worship. And the people are astonished. The people are perplexed at all that's happening. They've seen Zechariah. They've known that he's been unable to speak. They're not really sure why he's been unable to speak, but here he is able now that he's given his son the name John to open his mouth and he gives praise to God. And the people ask this question, what then will this child be? The question's asked and an answer is given, but it's not just any answer. It comes in the form of a song or a poem and it's prophetic in nature. As we see in verse 67, it says that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. And what he says goes far beyond the question that's asked. In the Greek text, this was originally written in the language, in, in the Greek language. And in the Greek text, this is one massive run-on sentence. I mean, Zechariah is amped up about all that he's saying. There's no periods or anything like that. He is just unloading on the people as they've asked this question, as he prophesies by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit in this long run-on sentence. And while it's one long run-on sentence, I want to break it down into three parts. The first two parts serve the, the third part. They seek to, to underline and amplify the third part of this song. Part one, though, comes in verses 68 through 75. Let's read those again. It says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah begins by giving praise to God. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel means that God is praiseworthy. He's praiseworthy. Zechariah tells us why he's praiseworthy. You may say, well, what's the point? Why is he praiseworthy? He says, the reason is, is because God, you have visited and redeemed your people. Now, we've looked at redemption a lot over this last year as we've been in the Old Testament and the first five books of the scriptures. But redemption essentially means to be released, to be set free. It's released from captivity, released from slavery, released from oppression, released from sin and from death. But redemption is not... Just redemption for redemption's sake. When someone's redeemed, they're redeemed to the Redeemer who released them, who freed them. See, just as God redeemed his people out of Egypt for this purpose, to be able to go and worship him, so he has come, Zechariah says, to redeem his people again so they might worship him. 
Follow him as king. Serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness for all of their days. Zechariah exclaims that salvation has come for us in the house of David. In other words, the promised Messiah from long ago, the one who was promised long ago, the king who would sit on the throne of David forever and ever, he is coming and he is almost here, Zechariah says. So many things are coming to fulfillment. In these short verses here, Zechariah makes allusions to the exodus out of Egypt. He makes allusion to the promise of David to have a son on his throne forever. And he says in verses 72 and 73 that God is fulfilling his covenant promise that he made to Abraham so long ago. I mean, this is huge for the people of Israel, for Zechariah to say this. Something that was promised to to Abraham, the father of Israel. He's saying this is coming to fulfillment. What God told Abraham he would do is happening now. That Abraham's family will be blessed and that through his family, all of the nations will be blessed. See, Zechariah is praising God for being faithful to his plans and faithful to his people. And when God's people are rescued, they can serve him fearlessly. Now, as we read this, one of the things that might seem like he's talking about here, as far as redemption goes and freedom goes, is uh, is political in nature, is social in nature. I mean, Zechariah talks about being set free from our enemies, those who oppress us, those who hate us. Now, that's part of what Zechariah was thinking. That's part of what the people of Israel were hoping for. At this point in time, they're under the rulership of the Roman Empire, oppressed by foreign rulers. And so they're, they're longing for a Redeemer to come. They're longing for a Messiah to come to set them free from this oppression. But it's not just that. It goes beyond that. There's more to it. And we see this in part two of this song. Verses 76 and 77, Zechariah continues, speaking now specifically about his son, John. He says, In you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. See, Zechariah just affirms what's already been told to him by Gabriel. John will be a prophet. His son, John, will be a prophet and he will go before the Messiah, this Lord who will come and he will prepare his way. He will prepare a people for him. But here we get some additional information. John is not just going to be an ambassador of a ruler. He's not just going to be an ambassador of a king. He will also be an evangelist who will bring good news. And this good news he brings is knowledge of salvation Knowledge of salvation for the people to be saved. Now we can still think, is this political salvation? Maybe John's just going to say, look, this king, this ruler is going to come set you free from these oppressors. So this is the knowledge of salvation. No, that's not what he's saying. The knowledge of salvation, what he says, is rooted in the forgiveness of sin. It's rooted in the forgiveness of sin. The salvation that John is going to bring, that he's going to speak about, is about being set free and forgiven of sin. See, the people of Israel have been oppressed politically by foreign rulers, but the people of Israel have also been oppressed by their own sin and their own rebellion. And they're enslaved to it. John chapter 8 verse 34 says, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And Romans 6 tells us that if we're slaves to sin, then that sin leads to death. See, Israel does not just need a redeemer to set them free politically. They need a redeemer to set them free from their sin. John will be the one 
He'll be the one that begins to preach the message to the people of Israel that slavery and death are not the end of the road. Salvation and forgiveness are possible. And this is going to come through the message that he preaches. And the message that John will preach is a message of repentance and faith. It's a message of repentance and faith, of, of turning away from making a kingdom of ourselves. Like Alan talked about last week, that this isn't about our own kingdoms. This is about God's kingdom. And so John's going to preach a message to say, repent of building your own kingdom and have faith and trust in the kingdom of God that's coming to be. We see this in Matthew chapter 3 as John begins his ministry. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this is what he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken, was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. See, John will be an ambassador and an evangelist, bringing a message of salvation and the forgiveness of sin. But John's not the one who will actually bring about salvation. John's not the one who will actually bring about forgiveness of sin. He's just delivering the message that that is going to happen. So how will this be possible? Let's look at the third part of this song, these last two verses of this song. 78 and 79 says this, this Knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of his sins. And this is it because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This forgiveness of sin will happen because of the tender mercy of our God. Listen, sinful, rebellious people do not deserve mercy. They do not deserve grace. They deserve punishment and deserve justice. But holy God is a God of mercy. And he's a God of grace. And he is faithful to his plans and his people. He told Adam and Eve in the midst of the darkness that they had brought into this world, that evil and darkness and sin and death would not ultimately triumph, but that one would come who would crush those things forever and ever and over and over and over again. Throughout God's word, we see that he has promised that a redeemer would come from his people for his people. He said that to these people. They, they've longed for this. And as they sit in darkness, as they sit under the shadow of death, they are looking for, they are longing for the sunrise. They're longing for light to break into this dark world. It was a promise made long ago. A few weeks ago, we read out of the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let me read them to you again. It says this, For behold, the day is coming. Burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evil evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But here's the good news for you who fear my name. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. As we looked at a few weeks ago, this is some 400 years have passed by since that promise is made to this time. Right now, as Zechariah is singing this song, a promise that the people longed for and now Zechariah knows is imminent. The world sits in darkness. 
It's under the shadow of death because the wages of sin is death. Sin has jacked up everything. But the sunrise from on high will bring healing. It'll bring light. It'll bring life to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. The sunrise will lead people in the way of peace. But this is not just any peace. This is the shalom of God. The word in Hebrew, shalom, is what we translate into English as peace, but it's so much more than the absence of conflict. It's about wholeness and completeness. It's about full restoration and freedom. And Zechariah is saying the way of peace is the way of life instead of the way of death, and that is coming for you. But the sunrise Zechariah is referring to and Malachi promised is not an amorphous, impersonal thing. It's not an outside force that will just bring this about to, to bring things together. No, this is the very Son of God who at this point in time, as Zechariah sings this song, is a small child in the womb of a young girl named Mary. And his name will be Jesus. See, John will proclaim salvation, but Jesus will be the one that brings the people of God into it. Jesus will bring shalom because Jesus is the light. John chapter 1 verses 4 through 5 says this, talking about Jesus, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter 8 verse 12, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it speaks of the, about this, about Jesus. It says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. See, Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited son of righteousness, the long-awaited light in the darkness. And when the Messiah comes, redemption comes. But how will he do this? How will he do this? The people of Israel expected this Messiah to come, to be a king who would crush the oppressors and, and come in power. They longed for political redemption, but they also were in need of spiritual redemption. Jesus would do both, but not in the way that they thought. See, first he would bring about redemption from sin and forgiveness. Because forgiveness of sin is a precondition to peace with God. John himself would say of Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the answer of how Jesus does this for us is also in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1 verses 19 through 22, it says this, again, speaking about Jesus. It says, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All of it was pleased to dwell. Jesus is 100% God, the very son who's existed from all eternity. And as he comes, even as a small child in his mother's womb, born in a stable, is the very God of all creation. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him and God was pleased through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And how will he do this? He will make peace by the blood of his cross. And then Paul writes this in Colossians, he says, and you, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, it's not through military triumph. It's not through political power or persuasion. It will be through sacrifice. For a broken and bleeding world, Jesus will break and bleed. For a world in the throes of darkness, Jesus will enter into the darkest darkness. For a world in the shadow of death, Jesus will die the death that we deserve for our sin. He will make peace by the blood of his cross. But peace with God will also lead to the reconciliation of all things. Now, Jesus has come to bring light into the darkness, but Jesus will come again. He will come again to bring the fullness of restoration, to make all things new. Everything the people of Israel longed for are fulfilled in and through Christ, both now and in the future. See, through him and him alone comes redemption from sin. And through him and him alone comes redemption for a broken world. Through him alone is shalom restored. Through Jesus, after darkness, is light. He brings political and spiritual redemption because he's the only one that can do that. It's not through legislation. It's not through government. It's not through self-help or self-actualization. It's just through King Jesus. As one pastor says, salvation is not a human invention, but a divine visitation. It's not something that we achieve by going to God, but something God has done by coming to us in Christ. The tender mercy of our God has come. The sunrise has visited us. Now we can acknowledge that God has been faithful to his plans and his people in the midst of this. And we should worship like Zechariah. As our mouths open, we should sing praise to God for what he's done. That he has been faithful to his plans and his people. But we also now find ourselves longing for the light. Because as we look around us. As we live, we very easily and readily realize that we live in a world that is still very broken and at times very dark. And the reason there is still brokenness in this world is because people are still sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. That's the effect of sin and rebellion. That's the effect of it as it brings about this darkness and death. The sunrise has come, but as followers of Christ, we long for the new city. Because in the new city, there's unending light. Revelation chapter 21, verses 23 through 25, talk about this new city. And it says this, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. See, one day Jesus will return, and the sky will split in two. And when he comes again, there will be no more pain, no more broken homes, no more broken marriages, no more orphans, no more disease, no more war, no more injustice, no more racism, no more abuse, no more tears, no more sin, no more sadness. Even death itself will die. There will be full restoration after darkness comes light. But see, you and I today, as we sit here at the end of 2014, we turn on the TV and it's readily apparent to us that the world is jacked up. We get, we get, we, I mean, every day there's something new, it seems like, that's going on that just makes us break for the brokenness of our world. And so you and I should feel the tension of Zechariah and the people of Israel. 
As they waited for redemption and the return of Shalom, so we wait. And we should long for that day. We should long for that day and we should say, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. We can't wait till the day comes when there's no more sadness, no more pain, no more of any of those things. But there's no more darkness and just light. Not even shadows will exist. But until that day, what are we to do? What are we to do? See, when we see brokenness and darkness on the TV, when we read about it online, when we read about it in the paper, when we experience it in our own lives, we shouldn't just hang our heads. We ache, we groan, but we don't run away from God. We look to him knowing that he has always been faithful to his plans. He has always been faithful to his people and he is bringing redemption to this world. We don't run away. We press in. See, God is not out of control. God has not forgotten his plans or his people. God has not abandoned this world, but God is patient and God is long suffering and God longs for people who right now are sitting in darkness in the shadow of death to see and experience the light that comes in and through Jesus, through the message of the gospel. See what that means for us sojourners is that there's work to be done. There's work to be done. Just as he used John, a man to be a mouthpiece of this message of salvation. So he uses us, his people. See, Jesus is the light of the world, but he has now made us the light of the world. Matthew chapter five, Jesus tells us that this series is called light in the darkness because Jesus is the light in the darkness. But the reality for you and I, if we know Christ is that now we are to bring that light into the darkness. But just as the moon's light is derived from the sun, so your light, my light is derived from Jesus. It's not self-existent. It's not something that we manufacture on our own. It's reflective in nature. It's reflective in nature. We don't have a light of our own and only is the light of Christ that shines in us and through us and out of us to a dark world. But there's a question we need to ask and answer before we can really get to the answer for what are we to do? And that question is this. Are you in the light? Have you experienced it? Because if you haven't experienced it, you can't reflect it. And this is for two groups of people here. Those of you that know that you don't yet know Christ as Lord and Savior. And for those of you that think that you know Christ, but don't actually. Listen to the words of 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. John writes this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with God, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here's the good news again. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, we often want God to move in our lives. We often want God to work. We want God to save us from certain circumstances. And he can do that. 
And we should pray for that. But we must recognize our deepest need. Our deepest need is to be saved from our sin, the consequence of death. To experience the light of Christ and the life of Christ in and through his work on the cross. Listen, there's only one true source of light. Everything else is an imposter. Everything else is an imposter. And so if you've not truly experienced the light of Christ in your life, acknowledging that you have been building a kingdom of your own, that you have rebelled against God, that you have sin in your life, that its consequences, its wages deserve death. If you haven't acknowledged that and then turned to Christ in faith, believing that he alone died in your place to bear the wrath of God on his shoulders for your rebellion, then I want to call you to that today. To respond to that gift of grace, the message of salvation, the forgiveness of sin, to experience the light of Christ in your life. And I fear for some of you that think you're in the light but are not truly there. If you don't display the light, if you don't walk in the light, then you've not experienced the light of Christ. So this morning for you, be honest with yourself. And be honest before God today and come into the light. Sojourn, when we have experienced the sunrise that Zacharias sang about in Jesus, then we can take the light to the places of darkness and death, to the hearts of people all around us, to the very corners of the globe. We, God's redeemed people, bring the light of the gospel that leads people in the way of peace, the way of shalom. And I want us as a church to strive to do the maximum good for God's maximum glory with everything that we have and everything that we are. Listen, sojourn, God saves for service. We saw that in verses 74 and 75, not just on Sundays, but all of life, not just for a select group of people, but all of the redeemed. He uses human agency to bring the message of the light to a dark world. That's crazy. He uses you and he uses me to bring this message to the world. See, John is unique in some senses, but at the very same time, John is ordinary, just like you and me. Listen, God wants to do something more in your life than just save you and get you to heaven. He wants to do something more in your life. He has given you his grace so you can live for his glory now. He he wants to change your life now so that you might live for him and make much of him in this world now. As you've experienced the light of the glory of God in Jesus, so now you are to go to be the light. And we do this through mission and we do it through mercy. We do it through mission and we do it through mercy. Mission is about communicating with our words the truth of the gospel. And mercy is about communicating with our actions the reality of the gospel in our lives. But here's the key thing that we have to understand. To take the message of light to those who sit in darkness and under the shadow of death means that we need to actually go into dark places. We have to go into dark places. I mean, that's not rocket science, right? People need light. They're in darkness. That's where we need to go. Shining a flashlight outside today is not going to have much effect. When we go into a very, very dark room and turn on a little light, it lights up everything. I think most of us would be on board with that. We would, we would get that in theory. But the reality of our lives portrays something different. We believe and champion and encourage mission and mercy to dark places. We even give our money to it, but we ourselves are selective light shiners. 
I mean, this is me sometimes. One of the things that God has been challenging me with that's been pressing me in my life is that I don't have a whole lot of margin in my life for mission and mercy. See, darkness is not convenient, right? Sometimes we have to go out of our way to go into dark places to shine the light of Christ. In it. And, and I realize in my life oftentimes that I don't have any margin for that. Maybe you're in the same place. But maybe for some of us it goes even a bit deeper than that. One of my favorite artists in one of his songs says this, it's eerie how uncomfortable it is when we get too comfortable. It's eerie how uncomfortable it is when we get too comfortable. But sojourn, my fear is, is that we aren't uncomfortable with our comfortableness. We dream of big houses and safe neighborhoods, good schools and large bank accounts. But we never consider that perhaps God is calling us to forsake the things of this world for the sake of the world. Because here's the deal. That's exactly what Jesus did. This is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus, the son of God, existed in all eternity with the father and the spirit. Perfect communion, perfect glory. But because of his love for us, he humbled himself and came to us as one of us. He laid down every comfort and every right. He was born to a poor family in poor circumstances to save the poor in spirit. Jesus, the light of the world, came into the darkest darkness to redeem those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. He didn't say too hard. He didn't say it was too difficult. He didn't say it was too dark. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so for you and for me... To be light, we must follow the king of light who went into dark places. Listen, mission and mercy are not just over there. They're right here, right here in our community. People all around us have bought into a religious philosophical system of some kind, whether that be legalism or license, religion or irreligion. But the reality is, apart from Christ, all of those things lead to darkness and death. Mission and mercy are not just for pastors and professional missionaries. It's for all of us who've been made new in Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, where's the darkness then? Where are the dark places in Fairfax? Maybe it's the girl seeking love and affection through sexual promiscuity. Maybe it's the guy who who just wants to numb himself to the realities and the difficulties of this life who's become addicted to pain meds. Maybe it's the homeless person that walks by my house every day. Maybe it's the unseen, broken homes, broken marriages, and broken lives. See, Northern Virginians are great at hiding the darkness that they're hiding in. Everything looks great on the outside, but the reality is very different than what's perceived. There's a sister in our church who right now is seeking to do this. She takes the light into dark places. She goes to strip clubs to get to know the women that are working there, that are dancing there, to seek to bring the light of the gospel to those women, those women who are sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. She goes to them into those dark places. Maybe it means we need to go to places like abortion clinics. Instead of marching around with signs in our hands, we actually talk to people. The people that work there, the people that are going in, realizing they're sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. And we want to love them as image bearers of God. We actually need to treat people as people. See, Jesus didn't come to us once we cleaned ourselves up. 
He came to us while we were in darkness, while we were in death. Now, going to dark places doesn't mean we condone the actions and attitudes of others any more than Jesus did. But Jesus was called a friend of sinners. He was called a friend of sinners. People saw it as a derogatory term to call Jesus, but Jesus, I think, was excited about being called the friend of sinners. Are you? Are you a friend of sinners? Are you excited about being called a friend of sinners? And I want that to be the reality for us, that all of us would be called a friend of sinners, all of them, and not be hoarders of light. Jesus did not condone the lives of those he, had, he was friends with. He didn't condone their lives, but he always sought to offer them something better. To offer them something better. Life and light instead of death and darkness. And that's what you and I are to do too. That's what we're able to do. Because Christ has come into our lives and we now can go and reflect that light out. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says that Jesus saves to the uttermost. He saves to the uttermost. That means that there is no place too dark and there is no person too lost. Jesus saves to the uttermost. And peace with God starts in the hearts of people, not the institutions of humanity. We live in a broken world, but our world is not going to change through legislation and laws. It'll change through the light of the gospel breaking into the lives of people. And we're the ones who bring it. Mission and mercy are possible. Because when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus died but was not defeated. He rose again and is alive forevermore. When light breaks in, it cannot be suppressed. Our city is in need of light. Our country is in need of light. Our world is in need of light. We can look at places like North Korea and Saudi Arabia and things going on in Syria and Pakistan. And we can see the desperation our world has for light to break in. But maybe it's even a little bit closer to home for you. Maybe your small world needs some light. Maybe right now what God is asking you to do is simply to look at the relationships around you. Your neighbors, your classmates. Maybe it's your relationship with your mother-in-law or your stepdad, your brother or your sister or your spouse. Right now you know that's where light needs to be shined. Sojourn, let's not be so comfortable that we are unwilling to engage the darkness around us with the light of Christ our King. But maybe for some of you, you know that the darkness is not even just right out here, like in Fairfax, but it's in here. It's in here. Maybe you're in a hard place right now. And again, for those of you that don't know Christ, let me me just encourage you and call you to this this morning. Jesus says to you today, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus calls you into the light to experience peace, to experience rest. So if you don't know him, would you come to him today? It's why we're here as a church. We want you to know Christ. We want you to experience that in your life. But for those of you that do know Christ, that just find yourself in a dark place this morning, hear these words from Psalm 30 this morning. May they be encouraging to your soul. It says there's verse 5, Psalm 30, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And Jesus has come and Jesus will come again and he will make all things new. As the days get shorter and shorter and the nights longer and longer at this time of year, we proclaim together to one another and to the world around us, just as Zechariah did and just as John would, after darkness, light. Sojourn, let's go into the dark places.
Let's shine the light we have received for the glory of God and the good of others. The sunrise has visited us from on high. He has given light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. He has guided our feet into the way of peace. And to that we say, Amen, and come, Lord Jesus. As we come to the table this morning to eat the bread, to drink the cup, we are reminded of the truth that Christ our Savior came into the darkness to rescue us out of it. He did this by dying the death that we deserve for our rebellion. Christ's body was given for you. Christ's blood was shed for you so that you might know the peace of God. And so as you come forward this morning to receive the bread and the cup, May it prompt worship in the depth of your soul that you did not find God, but that God found you and adopted you as his child to the praise of his name. And for those of you that don't yet know Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning to take the bread and take the cup. Because this is a a declaration, a proclamation for us of our faith in Jesus, trusting in him and him alone. And so if you don't yet know Christ, we don't want you to come forward to take the elements because it doesn't really mean anything to you. It doesn't do anything for you. What we want for you this morning is for you to take Christ. So pray, ask God to do that in your life today. And if you have questions, please come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you and pray for you. And those of you that will come forward, you can come forward when you're ready to receive the elements. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word clearly tells us, it relates to us, the fact that as people who once sat in darkness, as people who once sat in the shadow of death, that if we know Christ today, that you've removed us from that. May that not be lost on us, Father. I pray that we wouldn't live lives as if we still exist in the darkness in our own life, but we'd realize the light has shone in us, and now we reflect that light out to the world around us. So we praise you this morning. We worship you this morning that you sent Christ, your only son, to die for us, to be raised for us, so that we might have light and life, be brought out of darkness and death, and be alive with you forever. But I pray, Lord, as as much as we long for Jesus to return, and we do pray, come, Lord Jesus, that while we wait, that we would go into dark places. Lord, this morning, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that you would impress on their hearts and minds this morning a, a, a clear place that you're calling them to right now, that they would know the darkness you're calling them to walk into, to shine the light of Christ. Holy Spirit, would you do that work this morning? May we be a church that's marked by being light shiners, not light hoarders. May we not be selective in where we point the light of the gospel. May we give it to all people at all times freely as you've given it freely to us. And Father, I do pray for those that are here this morning that haven't yet experienced the light of Christ, that you would do a work in them today. Father, bring them into your family today. May they repent and believe in the good news of Christ our King. Lord, we praise you for your grace. We praise you for your love. Help us to be faithful in all you've called us to do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.